Well, this morning, before we get on to the book of Acts and the beginning of what would be known as the church, as Chad said, the church, you know, it's not the four walls of a building, but a body of believers, a body of followers of Christ. I kind of want to do a recap on what we talked about last week, because it is the very thing that we spoke of last week that started the movement that we see in the first chapter in the book of Acts, okay? So we talked about a few things first. We talked about who Jesus was and what did Jesus do. And we looked at who Jesus was through the titles that he, he used, the people used for him and that he used for himself. So we saw the first title of Christ as being the first title of Jesus as being Christ or the Messiah. And we talked about the roles, the traditional roles of the Messiah, what they would be. And we said that they were prophet, king, and priest. Now, the role of the prophet was to speak God's message to the people, which Jesus did. The role of the priest was to speak to God on behalf of the people, and not only speak, but offer atonement, offer sacrifice for their sins. Now, the, the dual action of Jesus, him being the priest, and offered the atonement, offered the sacrifice for sin, but also was that very, that very sacrifice that was to be offered. And also we see him being the king. Now, he received the eternal kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, but one day, and I believe one day coming soon, that kingdom is going to be brought down here to this very earth where he will rule and reign forever and ever. And the Bible says that we will be kings and priests along with him to rule and reign with him forever. So that was the first title we looked at Christ. He was, he was the Messiah. Second one was the Lord, or the title Adonai, which means the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. Okay, Right here, right now, this lordship is shown through us as we as followers of Christ submit to him. But one day, and once again, one day coming soon, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the enemies and those who refuse to do it right here, right now, they're going to have to bow. So we see that he is, he is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, Lord of all creation. The third title that we saw of Christ was the Son of Man. And this is the one that Jesus used for himself more than any other title. And we saw that this was not referring merely to Jesus' humanity, his, side, his, side, his human side of his nature, but it was referring to that entity in the book of Daniel that talked about how um, when the Son of Man came into the presence of the Ancient of Days, and that he, he was exalted and glorified and given you know, honor, that this very heavenly being, the pre-incarnate or pre-existent Christ, was the one to come into the world, the Son of Man, and deliver humanity. So we saw that Jesus was Christ, he was Lord, he was the Son of Man. But we also looked at what Jesus' mission was whenever he came here. His mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. We saw that he lived the life that we were supposed to live, then paid the punishment and the price that all of us were supposed to pay. So he was our substitution. He was our substitutionary sacrifice. And then once paying that price, on the third day he rose from the dead. The risen Christ thereby, therefore defeated hell, death, and the grave on all of our behalf. So now all who would come to him could receive forgiveness of sins, new life right here, right now on this earth, and also eternal life in the, life, the age that's to come, eternity. This is the gospel. This is the good, the good news upon which Christ commissioned the church to go out and spread to all the nations. And this is where we really begin in the book of Acts is Jesus giving commission to his disciples and to his followers to go out and tell the world who I am and what I did for them. And that this new life that I offer to all men 
is available to everyone. Everyone who, who would confess me and follow after me. So we see that after the resurrection of Jesus, he was on the earth about 40 days from the day of his resurrection. He was seen by the 12 disciples. He was seen by the 120 followers that, that, were, that were believers. And uh, Paul says, I believe it's in the book of Corinthians, that at one time after the resurrection, he was seen by over 500 people all at once. So it was no secret of the resurrected Christ. And we find that in, in the Bible, in the last books of the, the Gospels, the last chapters, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, they kind of coincide. And we find Jesus giving his disciples and his followers the very last message, the capstone, if you will, of what he had come to do and what he had come to commission his disciples to do. Turn with me if you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to look in uh, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at this commission that Jesus told to the disciples for them to, to follow. That's Matthew chapter 28. <coughs> we start with verse 18 through 20, okay? And the, the cool thing about the Gospels is, if you look from one to the other, they kind of fill in the blanks to, for each other and kind of give a, a fuller picture of what all transpired. See, Matthew might not tell us everything that Luke tells us, and Luke may tell us some things that Matthew doesn't tell us. But taken together, it gives us a fuller picture of what actually transpired at that one event. Um, but Matthew tells us from right here, he says that Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, if you remember last week we talked about in Daniel chapter 7, we saw that the Son of Man came and he was given power, dominion, and glory. Uh, I believe this is what Christ is referring to after whenever he was raised from the dead. Because remember, remember whenever Mary came up to him, he said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Um, he had not yet been glorified. So Jesus comes back down and spends 40 days with the disciples. And he's given them the final commission. And he tells them that he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. That's important. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's, let's turn once more, let's look at it from a different angle. The book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at a different aspect of the, the great commission that Jesus was given to his disciples. Luke 24. Let's see. Let's just, let's start off with, with 49, because I want to read 44, but I don't think we're going to have enough time to go through everything I want to read this morning. Chapter, uh, let's start with verse 47, okay? And um, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus just tells them all the things that were about to happen. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you. What is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit. The third person or the third member of the triune God. You see, God the Father was the main character, if you will, in the, in the Old Testament. In the fullness of times, whenever the, 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 the times became right, Jesus Christ came in the flesh to save mankind. But God was not done with it yet. God was going to send another part of who he was to give power to the disciples to fulfill the call that God had gave them to fulfill, okay? So he tells them, he says, Behold, I will send the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city of Jerusalem, until you are endued with power, that word power 
is the same word in Greek we translate uh, dynamite, explosive power. You will be endued with power from on high. So these two aspects of the book of Matthew and, and Luke talk about the Great Commission, what Jesus is about to do with the disciples, what he expects of them to go out and do. This leads us to the first book of Acts, the first chapter, okay? And if we read it, in fact, let's do that. Let's read it because it's, it's pretty important to see it dovetail together and kind of fit. Verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Now this is after the resurrection. This is a, he's about to go up to heaven. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the disciples thought, I'm going to just pause here for a second. The disciples thought he was about to inaugurate the everlasting kingdom. He was about to come back because that's who the Jews were initially expecting to come back was a king. Not, not a priest, not a prophet, but a king to rule and to reign and, and to, to uh, set Israel free from the oppression of the, Rome, the Romans. The disciples still had it in their mind right now. Because they asked him this question. He said... Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus tells them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in in his own authority, but you shall receive power. That word again, dunamis, which we get in the word dynamite. You receive power with the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Here we see Jesus giving instruction, okay? He speaks of a new baptism, a new way of life, a new source of power that was not revealed or not given to all the believers and all the disciples and all the righteous of the Old Testament ever in the past. Jesus was about to literally here ignite a new era, a new way of God dealing with humanity. See, up until this point, they knew of no other baptism but of John's baptism. And the baptism which Jesus just told them. Baptize all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So a new baptism into Christ. But once again, we see Christ talking about a new way, a new baptism from which they were not, they were not uh, aware of. They had no common knowledge. They had no previous thought about this type of, uh, of baptism which Christ speaks about. You know, here we see the power, and this is what Jesus is talking about, with this new baptism, power coming upon them to be witnesses to the whole world. Now, it's important for us to take note here that Jesus is speaking to the very same people who just shortly, 40 days before, had fled from him whenever he was being arrested in fear. When the authorities, a uh, human authority came, they fled. They, they left Jesus in fear. Matter of fact, Peter, the one who knew he was the Christ and the Lord, whenever Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? Some said, some said uh, you know, Elijah, some say John the Baptist resurrected. But he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Lord in Christ. Jesus told him, he said, this has been revealed to you from my Father in heaven. So even the one with this great revelation of who Jesus was, God come in the flesh, denied him three times. Not one time, but three times. These are the very same people that Jesus, Jesus is talking to here. And he said, power is about to come upon you. You see, left to themselves, without the supernatural power of God that he was willing to give to them, they would not have been able to fulfill the high call of God to go through, throughout all the area and spread the gospel. But once again, we see a new era coming. A new era coming upon humanity that was not 
yet been initiated and not yet been given to humans. We see this because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection was a necessary and fundamental component to remove sin from human beings. We see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, would come upon men at certain times and for certain missions. But it was a temporary thing. It would come and it would leave. We, we see that with Samson. He said the Spirit of the God, God would come upon Samson and he would be endued with mighty power to defeat the Philistines. We see the same thing in the life of David. Matter of fact, after David sinned with Bathsheba, he wrote Psalm 51. He says, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, in this older age, in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit was given for a certain amount of time, and then removed, taken away. However, when Jesus came and did away with sin by his body of death on the cross, he removed the sin barrier from humanity. So now, since the, the first time in all of human history, God can now actually come and commune with, his, with, with man in a way that was broken since the Garden of Eden. It was absolutely impossible since that time. Sin was dealt with through the cross. Sin that caused a separation was now put away with. And now God himself could actually unite, not just come upon and not just fall upon, but unite with his people to empower them to do the will of God. We see this actual inauguration happen in Acts chapter 2. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was the Feast of, of Pentecost. This, this Feast Pentecost was to be held 50 days after the Passover. Penta means 50. So 50 days after the Passover, they would celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. During the feast, it was to celebrate with joy and happiness the harvest of God. This was typically... The, 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 the way that they celebrated Pentecost and the reason they celebrated Pentecost was for the harvest of God. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. And on this day, the Feast of Pentecost, this happened. Acts chapter 2, let's start off in 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were, with all, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared on them a divided tongues as a fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave, gave utterance. On this day of the Feast of Pentecost, the day set aside for joy and thanksgiving for the harvest of God, on this day... God himself, through the person of the Holy Spirit, came and literally indwelt in the believers themselves. Once again, a brand new era, never once done before in the history of humans. A brand new time. No more was a temple needed, for now man was the temple of God. See, it is not coincidence that on this day, the day of Pentecost, God began, through the power of the Spirit, through the power of his own person, the greatest movement to bring in the harvest of men into the kingdom of God. For without the giving and the gift of the Holy Spirit, this great harvest that was to come would have never been possible. It wouldn't have been possible in, the, in their own strength, in their own humanity, before we see they were weak men. And it was the power and, the, and the, the giving of the gift of the Holy Spirit that made the men strong to do the will of God for their lives. We see that after this happens, in, in, after the giving of the Holy Spirit in, in this room, Peter goes out and preaches a dynamic sermon. 
And in one day, through one sermon, 3,000 men are saved. The one who denied Christ just a few days before and cowered in fear at the very name of Jesus was out boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in front of men from all nations. It didn't matter. How? How was this possible? Once again, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We see from this point on, from this new inauguration, this new era in the church, a literal explosion of the church of Jesus Christ. Men who once forsook the Lord now stand before religious leaders. They stand before governors. They stand before the leaders of people and even kings and proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The book of Acts, as it is titled, is literally the narrative of the Acts of the Apostles. We don't have to go through, go, have the time to go through all the, the miracles and all the power that was exhibited through the apostles. But literally, the church began to spread by fire all throughout the nations. And the thing about it is, whenever the persecution would come, because it came quickly, they thought by persecuting the church, they would be able to stomp it out. They'd be able to stop it. They'd be able to instill fear to the people by taking their lives to stop preaching in this name and stop teaching this new message of life with God. But it was impossible. Through the power of the Holy Spirit imparted to these men, they had the power to over, over, overtake the persecution of the day and spread it even further. And it actually had the opposite effect. What they thought was going to squelch the church and put it out actually lit a fire into the church. And it began to spread. You see this through the, the, the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And what is actually called the book of Acts could probably be called the book of the Holy Spirit. The acts of the Holy Spirit. Because he was the one. That person of God was the one who empowered the men to do it. So, knowing this, we have to think about our, to ourselves. How is this relevant to us today? This was 2,000 years ago, but how is this relevant? You know, some people would say that this power, this Holy Spirit power, was only for the first century church. That after the first century, after the church was well established... And proper notoriety was given to the church that this power was taken away. Some people, and in certain books that I've read, even said there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit. This baptism was done away with many, many years ago and is no longer applicable to us. While others would say that once we believe, if we just come to Christ and we have a faith in Christ, that automatically we receive the Holy Spirit during that time. And others would tell us that whenever we're water baptized, whenever we're immersed in water, that we receive the Holy Spirit whenever that happens. However, the scripture and I believe personal experience teaches different. And I want to teach you something about the Holy Spirit this morning because it is very vital that we have a, a proper understanding of the role and the power and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Because as we saw in the book of Acts, as it empowered men to do the exploits of God, it is still that same power that moves men to do the will of God today. There's a few instances in the book of Acts where it talks about the, the ways that people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's pretty enlightening to us that we look at just a couple of these. Okay, The first one let, let's look at this morning is Acts chapter 8. Um, I'm going to start off with, with that one this morning. There's a few of them I'll look at. And I, I just want to kind of hurriedly go through them because I don't want to take too much time this morning. And starting off in verse 14, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, this, this entails that they believed. When they, it says they received the word of God, they believed it. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, 
Pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, as yet, had fallen upon them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. See, the people of Samaria had received the word of God. They believed this word that was preached to them. In believing, they still had not received the Holy Spirit. So we see a body of believers right here who believed, believed in the Lord, but yet had not the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 tells them, he, being the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon them. They had only been baptized in Jesus' name with water. In verse 17 it says that Peter and John laid hands upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. Here we see, point case, that they believed, they had been baptized with water, and had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Next, we're going to look at chapter 10. Um, We see that Peter is sent by divine vision in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius. You see, this was the very first time in history that Jews had been sent to Gentiles to preach the message. Up until this point, we see that Jesus came to the Jews. This was a message for the Jewish nation only. It was not meant for Gentiles. But it was said of Cornelius, who was a centurion, that he was a just man. He was one who feared God, and he had a good reputation amongst the Jews. I believe because of Cornelius' upright standing, the honor and respect he had for God, Peter was sent to him first. He was the first one to receive the message of the good news. God had honored Cornelius because Cornelius had honored God with his life. Peter goes and preaches the news of Christ to Cornelius and all who are with him. And it picks up in chapter 10, verses... Let's let's start off with 34. And I just kind of want to read the beginning of what Peter started to tell Cornelius. And then Peter opened his mouth and he said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Peter goes on to, to lay out the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, being the Jews, who were with Peter, they believed, and those Jews who were of the circumcision believed, and they were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, and they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized with water. As Peter was preaching the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and all who were with him. No water baptism was given as of yet. They just, they just first heard the word of Christ. We know that Cornelius was an upright man. He had one who respected the Jews. It says early in chapter 10 that he was a man who prayed often to God and gave many alms. And that his prayers and his alms came as a memorial for him before God. We see this, though. He had belief. And prior to any water being offered to him, prior to any baptism of water, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we see a different correlation right now. We see in Acts chapter 8 that belief, water baptism, then baptism of the Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 10, belief, spirit baptism, then water baptism. Now Acts chapter 19 is is the third example I want to give to us here about the operation of the Holy Spirit and how it had been given in the book of Acts. And I think it's probably one of the most powerful examples. It is to me at least. Acts chapter 19. Verse 
And it happened, verse 1, and it happened when Apollos was at Corinth, then Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Why did you, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, And to what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. So these were obviously men who were alive during the, the ministry of John the Baptist, who went to John the Baptist and received the baptism of repentance. Okay? Paul then says to them, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that, that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. And they heard this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Here we see a group of disciples, and Paul asked the rhetorical question, you know, obviously they had believed, because Paul had asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you had believed? And at this point, they were believers, Paul, Paul says so, but have not even heard of the ministry and the giving of the gift of the Holy Spirit. These three instances in scriptures, we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not, I repeat, does not automatically come through belief in Christ. It does not automatically come whenever someone is water baptized. It is something that faith has to proceed. We see that in every case, the people believed. Belief was, was a requirement for them to take that further step with God. And I believe it's something that water baptism had no no sway over. Water baptism really didn't matter one way or the other. Some were, some were baptized before, some were baptized after, but this we do see this. These three things together form the foundation of a Christian walking in the power and the freedom of God. You see, belief in Christ was for our salvation. Water baptism was an outward sign of repentance and a life of devotion now to Christ. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the very spirit and life of the eternal God, coming to dwell within us, to empower us to change the world. Now, why do I go through, through this with us this morning? Why do I talk about this? I can tell you, my experience with this is not merely from the scripture. Not merely from the three verses, the three portions of scripture that I have read to you this morning. As a young Christian, as well as a believer in Jesus, trying to come to Christ, trying to, trying to start my way in church, I was still bound up and held by a lot of things that the world had entangled me in. Or I, I entangled myself in, okay? There was a part of me that wanted Christ and wanted what he had to offer. And coming to him and trying to give my life to him, but I was stuck. I was still in bondage. I was still held by the things of the world as a young man, 19 years old. And many a times, I had knelt before that preacher talking about Christ on TV and said the sinner's prayer, gave my life to the Lord, asked him to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. I believe he's Lord and Savior. I believe you've, you've risen from the dead. And still nothing changed in my life. And I continued and I pressed in and I pressed in. Well, one night in an altar, a guy came up to me. We were in the middle of praise and worship. And he asked me, he said, Kobe, he said, have you been saved? I said, Christian, I, I think so. I mean, I've said the sinner's prayer. I, I've been trying to make an effort. I've said the prayer in my heart and I believe it. He said, have you ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit? I said, no, no, I haven't. He said, well, can I pray for you to receive it? I said, yeah, I would like that. So I remember he laid his hands on me. He put his hands on my chest and my back and he started speaking in tongues. And by this time, speaking in tongues, I kind of got used to it. It was something completely different. Because I came from a Catholic background where nobody ever even talked about that kind of stuff. 
So I wasn't as, as kind of, I wasn't as uncomfortable by it at this point. It had been about two months into this walk. And I tell you, whenever that guy started speaking in tongues, something happened to me that still words have a hard time describing. It kind of came over from the top of my head and slowly descended over my whole body and down, slowly down to my feet. And it was literally life, an infusion of supernatural life into my body. It was the first time ever that I really, truly felt alive. It was like the, taking the first breath into this new life that I never even knew existed. And literally, the, the, the chains and the bondages and the struggles and everything that I had been dealing with in life and trying to get rid of were immediately in one fell swoop broken away. I had life. I had freedom. I felt this power that I had never even felt before. And it was literally the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The very spirit and life of God coming to indwell in the believers. The very same baptism and the very same power that enabled the twelve and the hundred and twenty who received this baptism to go out in power and literally change their world. So why do I tell us this this morning? Because it is the same power that gave them power back in the day that is still available to us. The same power that made these men who once were cowards cowards and, and, and trembling in fear stand before kings and pro, pro, proclaim and profess that there is only one king and there is only one Lord and he is Jesus Christ. The same power that healed the sick and raised the dead and gave sight to the blind. That same power is available to every one of us who believe. See, it is not something that's just for yesterday. It's not something that was merely for the, for the, for the first century church. This is something that is for us right here, right now, as believers in Christ. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, it's something that we have to ask for, and it's something that God wants to give. It's a, Jesus calls it a gift. The apostle Peter and Paul, they call it a gift. When somebody gives you a gift, is it anything you have to work for? Is it anything that you have done to receive it? No, the person just comes and gives you a gift. It's something that you absolutely did not work for. So it is the same with the Holy Spirit. We have to know that the Holy Spirit is there. We have to know that He is offered to us as a gift of God. We have to know that we have to ask for Him. Beyond just coming to Jesus Christ and receiving salvation for Jesus, we have to know that there's a deeper level level of intimacy that God wants to have. A level of power in your life, a level of influence, a level of overcoming that would be absolutely impossible without the life of, life of God. You see, He is the way we live a life of power and victory. He is the way we overcome. He is the way that we know the absolute personal will of God for our lives. He is the way we go forth and complete the will of God for our lives. This is not something spooky. This is not something scary. This is the most intimate and life-giving gift that God could ever offer to mankind. See, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, God offers to put part of himself, the very third member of his person, to come and dwell with you. He said, I, I no longer dwell in temples made, made with men's hands. You are my temple now. I offer that you can be my temple, and I will dwell in you. And in doing so, the power of heaven becomes ours. We now have the power to live a victorious life over sin. We now have the power to, to overstep Satan in his schemes. We now have the power to live the life that God has called us to live. And I just want to encourage you this morning, folks. This gift of the Holy Spirit, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is not something in a Bible age. It's for us here today. 
If you have never received this, you say, I believe in Jesus. I've been coming to church. I believe his Lord and Savior. I believe I'm saved. But I've never had that experience with God. I've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you this morning. Seek after it. Now that you know. Now you know because I'm up here testifying to you this morning. Seek after it. Pray for it. You know, I, I received it for, for myself in, in, in front of an altar with praise and worship and somebody praying for me. Friends of mine have received it in the quietness of their bedroom. Praying to God and, and fervently seeking the presence of God and being filled right there on the spot with a new baptism and a new life coming to dwell in. So, so seek after it, y'all. Pray for it. Ask for it. If you know somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit and somebody who has been baptized with the Spirit and it's something you want, go up to them and ask them to agree with you in prayer. Ask them, ask them to pray with you in agreement that you may receive this gift of God because it is the very power of God unto life and life everlasting. You see, it's not necessary for salvation. I truly believe that. I believe that faith in Jesus Christ alone is necessary for salvation. But it is necessary for having power and victory in this life. If you want to overcome the life and the world circumstances and the things that Satan throws at you, it is absolutely necessary to have victory. Amen? Amen. Father, we just come to you this morning, and we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your finished work on the cross, O Lord. We thank you that that through you, we have been able to separate ourselves from sin, O God. And we're seen as holy before you now, Lord God. And because of that, because, because of you, Jesus, we've been made the righteousness of God. You offer your very life, O Lord. You offer your very spirit to come in, in with our spirits and dwell with us, Lord God. To give us power over life. To give us power over Satan. To give us power over sin and temptation, Father. And to give us power to achieve and to finish the life which you've called us to live as followers of you, O God. We just thank you, Lord God, for this free gift and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, guys.